Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. I love it. This is the culture of RCC, is taking people that maybe were broken at one time and to, to see healing so that the gift of God could come forth out of their hearts. Oh, come on, that deserved a bigger shout. Come on, say amen. You know what I find when someone is hurting, they're not just depressed, their gift stops being used. I didn't even start preaching yet. When somebody is hurting, not only do they battle being depressed, the gift stops with the hurt. So sometimes instead of activating your gift and you still being hurt, that's not how it works. Sometimes you got to get healed and the gift will come out naturally. All righty. Well, let's, let's, let's come before the Lord. Are you ready? Are you hungry for the Lord? Let's turn to uh, book, the book of Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to be rereading from the classic amplified version. Version. Every time I say version, I say virgin. Like I have to really give it. The, the, yeah, the, the classic amplified version. All right? And uh, so uh, before we read it is I've been on a series called The Believer's Authority and Power. Why? Because there are so many secrets about walking in victory that the church has at their disposal, at our disposal, that we do not even walk in even for a little bit. But my goal in this series is to stir you, to stir me, to say there is so much that has been given to us that we're not using. Imagine having a closet worth of a million dollars, a closet worth of all the the greatest keys of the cars that you want, and you never open or use half of that closet with all this arsenal. Uh Uh-oh. This is what the church is looking like. We have so much. Now today, this is part four, and I can't believe that I haven't even talked about this. What I'm going to talk about today mostly is about two or three main things when it comes to the authority and the power of the believer. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is, is, is simple, but it's a mystery given to everyone. And that is, listen, and that is the power of the gospel unto salvation. The power of the gospel is given to everyone, not only to receive salvation, but here's the good news. The power of the gospel unto salvation, when you get saved, that means you and I have the ability to actually snatch people out of hell through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news, but Paul the apostle says it's not just good news, it's the power of God. And then there's another thing that we're going to talk about today that we haven't even talked about. is about a a defense in the kingdom. In order to walk in full victory, you not only have to have good offense, but you have to have the good defense. Like my Miami Dolphins. Um, Anyways, uh, so (laughs) no one believed that. Not even if they tried. Okay, so (laughs) Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Are you ready? Say amen. All right. Romans chapter 1, 16 says, for I am not ashamed. Come on, say the gospel. Of the gospel or good news of Christ, watch this, for it is God's power. Everybody say power. Wait, what is God's power? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power, God's power, working unto salvation, watch this, for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Church, here is the first slide. If we can put that first slide in here. Is the believer's authority includes the power of the gospel for salvation. The believer's authority includes the power of the gospel washes for salvation. Because 
The gospel, or the, the good news, as it says here, when we receive the gospel of Jesus, it qualifies us, church, watch us, to receive things that we previously did not have access to receive as a non-spirit-filled or non-saved person, okay? It is the favor of God, the forgiveness of God, the, the, listen, the deliverance of God. Before salvation, before the gospel came to us through a preacher or through a teacher, and the Holy Spirit used the words of the gospel good news to identify our need for Jesus and transform our lives, you and I were powerless over the, over the enemy. You and I were powerless over the, over the kingdom of darkness. But the power of God came into our life when we got saved. I don't think people really understand what happens to them when they surrender to Jesus. They just think they need to come to an altar. Uh, uh, my life is messed up. I need P Jesus to take the pain away. But they want Jesus to take the pain away but don't want to follow him. So they have no power. If you come to the altar and say a good sinner's prayer just because your life is miserable and don't want to follow Jesus, I doubt that you're even saved. Because the Bible doesn't say come to Jesus and repent only to get your pain away. The power of the gospel comes at a surrender life saying, I no longer want to live for myself. I acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And when you do, here's what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says all things have become new. Now we, have, we, we know the scripture, right? But we, we limit the scripture to foundational classes. Like, okay, you know, my, the Bible says all things are passed away. All things are new. But what does all things pass away mean? That means you're old. old Old, old ways means the, you were powerless, powerless against sin in your old ways. You were powerless to overcome temptation. Think about it. You were absolutely powerless. You could say no, but the power that you had before salvation was only to a certain degree. But when you say no and you match it with the Spirit of God's power to resist that, that is supernatural power given to the believer. Because if you, you will be frustrated trying to live for God without a relationship with God. And that's what the Bible says. But when all things become new, means that means you're accepting the beloved. You have power. You have victory. You have freedom. Come on, say amen. And another scripture, Paul the Apostle says this. The, the message of the cross, watch this, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Let's see if you know your Bible. But to those who are being saved is the power of God. Some of you who've read your Bible know this. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about right now. Right? First Corinthians 1, you don't have to go there. The Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are not putting their attention or focus on the power of God unto salvation. Listen, listen. Do you guys know that you're, if you were born again here, do you know that that's a supernatural power that has transformed your life from darkness to light? And not only that, you have, this is a mystery, you have the same ability. Watch this. It may not be as eloquent as some other preachers. It may not be as sharp as other preachers. You could actually speak or preach or teach the gospel. You. The gospel of salvation. And the Holy Spirit will take your words and transform someone's life. Think about what I am saying. We limit the preaching of the gospel to people like me. How about you in your workplace talking about the good news of Jesus Christ? And who knows that your words have the power to convict and change someone's life. I told somebody the other day, you know when God is working, when you feel conviction. 
When you feel conviction through someone's words, that is a good place to be because you're not, that means you haven't been so far gone that you can't feel. But the Bible is clear that God is using you. The power of God unto salvation is the power to change people's lives. And guess what? That is one of your tools as a born-again believer. As a born-again believer, you have the gospel. Come on, you have the gospel, the good news of the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. When is the last time, don't get this wrong, that we use, not use like, like, like we say I'm going to use that person wrongly. When is the last time you used the power of the gospel or allowed God to use you, the power of the gospel, even when you're not feeling right and allow the results up to God, Right? This is what I'm talking about now. This is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout now because I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures, okay? I know it got quiet up in here, but I'm going I'm to make sure that you're going to start shouting in just a second. Because I, one of the benefits of the power of God under salvation, are you ready for this? And, I, and I've been preaching this for like three weeks, but I haven't harped on this. Even though it's elementary, I want you to listen. The, one of the advantages and privileges that every believer has when it comes to being saved, hear me now, is the ability to use, don't misquote the word use as a wrong thing, to use and obtain the name of Jesus. Now, I, this is going to sound really old-fashioned, what I pray, what I say. Does God hear us when we pray, when we just say, God, touch this person? Touch, absolutely. But if you want to stick to Scripture, there's some specific Scripture that says all about the power of Jesus' name. You know, we sing there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. But let me tell you something. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain. L- listen. One of the authority of the believers that we don't use that much anymore because we've been so used to our Christianese, our, our Christianese language that everyone saved, that we, we talk as if people, that, that, that we don't even realize, we don't use the name of Jesus anymore. When it comes to our prayers, when it comes to, to, to addressing things, there is power in the name of Jesus. And one of the believers' authority, mystery, is that you and I, watch this, have born-again believers, have the ability to use the name of Jesus with great, powerful results. Now, I'm going to let the scriptures speak, okay? I'm going to give you about four uh, scriptures in a row. Are you ready for some scriptures? I'm going to give you about three or four scriptures in a row. You can write them down. They're going to be on the screen. But we're going to go through them one by one and see how many times. I'm only just giving you four right now. So many times that Jesus himself actually said a mystery. He, even while he was on the earth, he said, you know what? The Father loves you. He sent me. But then he says, from now on, you're going to ask in my name. Where has the church forgotten about that? Why has the church said, well, you know what, God understands. We, we, we get so involved in this evolutionary uh, type of, of, um, of new type of teaching that we've forgotten that there's power to use the name of Jesus. Now look at what Jesus said here when it comes to the, the name of Jesus. Before you put that, put that slide up there, Zach. One of the incredible benefits that we have as believers have, have from the power of salvation is that we get to use and have the authority of the name of Jesus. Okay? So, and I want to say this before I give you the scriptures. There's many incidents in the Bible where people, uh, now listen, you need to listen to this very closely or you're going to misquote me and you're going to say that I'm a heretic. People try to use, the, is the name of Jesus powerful? Yes. But in individuals that don't have a relationship with God 
and have no relationship with Jesus, you could actually use the name of Jesus to have no full authority or power in your life. So do you realize the privilege that the, the, that the Christian has when we have a relationship with God? The, the Lord says, I'm going to give you an additional bonus. There is powerful things that are released through you in the name of Jesus. And I could give you scriptures in the book of Acts where people tried to do things in the name of Jesus and it just didn't happen for them. Now, did that mean that there's no power in the name of Jesus? Of course not. But when there's a principle here that this has been given to the believer. The name of Jesus is given to use at the name of Jesus. Some of you need to start using the name of Jesus more in your rebellious son. Some of you need to be able to do that in prayer. Now look at this. I'm going to give you John 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and then the one other verse, okay? So John chapter 14, if you could all turn there, verse 12 through 14. This is to teach you some of the basic principles that we have lost, which is get back to using the name of Jesus. Get back to praying in the name of Jesus. Get back to declaring in the name of Jesus. De- get back to hoping in the name of Jesus. Look at John 14, verse 12 uh, through 14 in the New King James. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Now, we all know this scripture, right? But look at how he continues. And whatever you ask... In my name, come on church, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now do you think that Jesus just said that so that we could just have a cool kind of passive approach to the name of Jesus? Or do you think he's giving that to us so that we can really harp on how to really get prayers answered effectively? All right, He says, if you ask anything according to his will, obviously, in his name, but he was very specific, in my name... He will do it. Okay, that's John chapter 14. Everybody say the name of Jesus. Come on, say the name of Jesus. All right, look at, look at John chapter 15. The next, if you can flip the page, those of you who have a Bible, flip the actual page to the next chapter. Look at chapter 15. It goes on and on. Verse 16. You did not choose, choose me. This is uh, Jesus speaking, by the way. Okay, and by the way, he's speaking to his disciples, which is symbolic of the believers of the church. Say amen. You did not choose me. Think about him saying this to you right now. Like, insert your name when we read the scripture, okay? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now look at chapter 16, the very next chapter. It goes on, and I'm just giving you three or four. Come on, let just the word of God preach. Let the word preach itself. I don't have to add on to this Selah moment right now. Come on. John chapter 16, the next chapter. Oh, listen, I love this. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. This is Jesus talking again. All right? I tell you the truth. You ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. Wait, 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 go back, go back, because they're not shouting enough, Zach. (laughs) And listen, you will ask my father directly, and he will grant your request because, because, because you use my name. I don't want to use his name. You get your answer to your request because you use my name. Now look at this next, next sentence here. 
in verse 24. Look at verse 24. As, 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 this is in the NLT, by the way. I'm giving you different versions, okay? Versions. You, <laughs> you haven't done this before. He's t- speaking to the to disciples. Ask using my name. See, because in that time, they were, just spe- they were speaking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Jesus is actually saying, look, I'm about to go to the cross, and everything is going to change about how you pray. He's talking to people that knew some of them the law. This is Father Abraham. You don't, you, don't, you don't approach him in just any way. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's how you address him. Jesus is saying, look, up until now, you guys are not used to praying this way. But I'm saying, he's saying, from here on out, you have done not done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Come on, say, an abundant joy. When you speak in his name, now the most popular one, come on, you know this, the most popular one about power in his name, but we're going to read it for the sake of this message, is in one of the, the uh, great commissions, because there's a couple great commission scriptures, Matthew 28, Mark 16, there's a couple of them, okay? But look what the great commission in the Mark 16 um, gospel says, according to the gospel of Mark, in 17 and 18. I love this. You know this, but let's read it together with faith. Ready? One, two, three. And these signs shall follow the those who believe, stop. Is there any believers in the room? How many believers in the room? Okay. Notice it didn't say these signs will follow great anointed men and women. Notice it didn't say these signs will follow those who fast for five days. That's great. That's great. Notice it didn't say these signs will follow the, the Christian who doesn't make a mistake or the prophet or the pastor or the teacher. It says those who believe. So my question before we even go further is do you believe this morning that Jesus is Lord? That means this is for you. These signs shall follow them that believe. Come on, everybody say, in my name. Do you see that? Do you see that? In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. Come on, church. That's good, That's good to, be, to shout. Listen, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Oh, hallelujah, church. This is something to shout about. This is something to shout about. You know, some of those old songs, I don't know if you know them, Christina. Some of these old gospel songs, like, uh, like uh, victory is mine, victory is mine. You remember that? You want to sing it with me? Victory today. Victory today. Come on, come on, clap your hands, clap your hands. Okay, forget it. Don't clap your hands. It says, victory is mine, victory is mine, victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind me, victory today is mine, right? There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, right? Right? All in all, these songs were celebrating the name of Jesus and the power of God over darkness. Yes, there is darkness, but it doesn't stay that way. We have power over darkness. Come on, say amen, church. Look at this next slide before we go to the, this last point. One of the greatest privileges that we have as followers of Christ, look at this in the screen, is the ability to receive answered prayer and delegated authority through the name of Jesus. I want to read that again. One of the greatest privileges that we have as followers of Christ is the ability to receive answered prayer. Oh, I thought you were talking about the authority of the believer. That is the authority of the believer. The fact that you could have answered prayer is phenomenal. As a matter of fact, it's one of the greatest privileges. We've gotten used to answer prayer, but we don't deserve to get answered prayer. Come on, say amen. 
Jesus made it possible. Do you know that if you are in Jesus and you pray in Jesus' name, your prayers can and will be answered? Some people are like, I wonder if God is going to answer my prayer. If you are praying in faith and in the name of Jesus and in alliance to his word, the answer is on its way. It just not make, it may come in a different package, but it's still on its way. Oh, that's for somebody. That is for somebody. Your answer may come in a different package. You may be expecting the spiritual UPS, but the spiritual FedEx is showing up at your door. And you're, and you're rejecting the package, but it's still the answer. You're pay, praying for patience. It may not come by God removing the person that you don't have patience for. Actually, may stay longer to develop patience in you. <laughs> Some of them are like, oh, no, Lord, I, I retract that prayer, right? It may come in a different package, but God is still sending it to you, okay? Now, now, now the, 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 the last and third thing that I want to talk about today when it comes to believer's authority is something that I have not talked about in the last four weeks, which I am actually shocked, but I did it on purpose. And it's the best defense mechanism in the kingdom. Now, up until this point, we've been talking about a lot of offensive weapons in the kingdom. The name of Jesus. We've talked about the authority in Christ, being seated in heavenly places. We've talked about Colossians. I remember that. And, 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 and Ephesians, all the apostolic prayers, that these were offense. But you can't have a championship team in sports if you only have a good offense and you're allowing the opponent to score at will against you. What good is it as a team to have great offense but the enemy is scoring at will. See, some of you, I'm going to prophesy to you, you have very good offensive weapons spiritually that you have uh, developed in your spiritual life. Prayer, intercession, very offensive, right? But some of you have very weak defenses, and that's why you keep falling. That's why Pastor John says you could, you could, you could knock out the, the giant, and that's offensive, but the defense is you got to continue to be able to not allow the enemy to have open doors in your life. One of the great authority of the believer is to walk in divine protection against the darts of the enemy. And you know how, it, uh, unlike any other scripture that I know, the best defense for the authority of the believer is found in the armor of God, the whole armor of God. Now, I want, now listen, I want you to hear this as if you're hearing it for the first time. Because I know with people that have been saved for more than five years, oh, the armor of God, I know that. No, I'm going to actually talk about three of the armor, the first three of the armor of God. Because the last three, we actually talked about it in kind of principle in the last couple of weeks. But I'm going to talk to you in the next closing uh, time of this message. The first three, listen, pieces of the armor of God, and I'm going to share some revelation of what they really mean, because the Bible says, now watch this, you're going to shout, it's not enough to put some parts on in order to walk in victory, because the apostle Paul, and you're going to read it in a second, he says, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, putting on the whole armor of God wherewith you will be able to withstand the wicked, the wiles or the schemes or the tricks of the enemy. If Paul the apostle said put on the whole armor, that means it's possible for, for some to put on partial armor. I think Christians, the reason why we're not living in victory is because we're satisfied with three pieces of armor and, and, and working on that and developing discipline for that and not really paying attention to the whole six parts of the armor. Now, I wish I had an illustration here to show you, but I didn't have enough time to get all this illustration. But imagine if you were going to war 
Imagine you are a soldier and you only had two pieces of armor. Yeah, part of you will be protected, but you will be very insecure going out to battle with just part of it. I think sometimes what you need to have is, what I'm about to tell you is the best defense. Everybody say defense. And one of them that I'm going to share with you is defense and offense. Are you ready for this? Now, again, I want you to hear what I'm about to say from a new standpoint. The armor of God is one of the greatest believers' authority and power when it comes to defense. We have a lot of offense in the church, but we need defense. Okay, now watch this. Now watch this. This is uh, important. Ephesians chapter 6, watch this. this is, I'm going to read the whole chapter here, I mean the whole verse here, and then I'm going to focus on three. Are you getting something this morning? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I know you've read this, but I want you to read it slowly and see if the Holy Spirit opens up your mind to something new about the armor of God. And then ask yourself, do I have any entryways from the enemy because I only have half of this armor or this armor is not even existing in my life? Do you know that without the armor that you're susceptible to darts? Do you know that with armor it will bounce off? You will still feel the pressure, but it won't kill you. The Bible never says no weapon formed against you shall be formed. They'll say the weapons will be formed. They just said all the weapons formed will not prosper. But he never said the weapons were not going to be formed. Come on, somebody. Okay, now watch. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor. Everybody say whole armor. The whole armor of God that you may be able. Now listen how this connects. The whole armor means, the whole armor means that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Now use some revelation in here. He didn't say uh, three or even four of them that you will be able to stand against the wiles. He said the whole armor is needed, the whole armor is needed for you to put on by faith and consistency to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Now this is not me speaking, this is the Apostle Paul. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Do you see the word whole a lot of times? That you'll be able to withstand in the evil day. Now watch this. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Here it goes. We're gonna, I want you to highlight some things. Having girded your waist with truth. I want you to underline truth. Having girded your waist with truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what girded means in a second, okay? It's not just a skirt, glory to God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, again, you've heard this before, but I'm going to give you some revelation that you probably haven't thought of deeply regarding the armor of God. Say breastplate of righteousness. So it's a specific piece that covers a specific part of the body, hint, hint, that is named something. So it's a specific piece that's designed to cover a specific part of the body. The breastplate doesn't cover your legs. I'll get that in a second, okay? So the breastplate of righteousness and having your shot, having, sorry, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Everybody say gospel of peace. Now, I'm going to, those are the three things I'm going to harp on. I'm going to continue to read for the sake of the, the whole armor. Above all, taking the shield of faith. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. With, with which you would be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Boy, I wish I had two hours to talk about that. 
and take the helmet of salvation. We talked about the power of, of salvation today. The power of the gospel unto salvation, right? The helmet of salvation, which helps renew your mind. That's a whole other message. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We talked about last week one of the ways to activate or exercise. Remember, the, the, your, your authority is through the scriptures. Remember that? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication. And everyone say amen. Now, a lot of people who, who, who grew up in the uh, charismatic movement or just love spiritual warfare, they love this scripture. But you know what? Sometimes if I could be just really honest, some of it becomes really flaky. Some of it becomes really just off because it's almost like people are just looking for a fight. No, no, this is not what Paul is talking about. You, you don't kill people with a breastplate uh, 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 or a shield. You could kind of wound them. But those are designed to protect you. But you have to have this in order to walk in authority. You are not going to be scared of someone that just has a good ability to swing a sword if they're naked. Right? It's an easy kill. For you or for the enemy, just because the person has a great sword and a great ability to, let's say, shoot a gun, but they're not covered anywhere, then that means it's easy to defeat them. But it's not easy to defeat them when they have a good offense and a good defense in them. In them. Now watch this. So I, I'm going to just share, before I sh- break these down, I, I want to I just break something down foundationally about the armor of God. In order for us to be successful, Paul commands us to wear by faith. That means consistently and uh, on purpose, all right? Our, our job when it comes to the armor of God is to keep it bright and fresh. You know what that means? Is bright means to use it every day, to activate in prayer these things that you have, and number two, be consistent about it, all right? Now, this is where I want to get at because the enemy will do everything in his power to stop you from knowing some of these, and I believe, like John said, you were so prophetic, John, Many people are walking in maybe 80 degrees of, of freedom and victory, but that 20% you're not realizing is that, you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually give a little bit more language to what he said. The reason the other 20% you're not in victory in is because there may be some open doors that the armor should have stopped. The open doors in your heart and the open doors in your mind, the open doors uh, in, your, in your family, the open doors in your, some of your addictions. Okay, I am a firm believer that the enemy knows that a believer that knows who they are and their identity and their authority cannot be bound for long by him. I believe that. And if, and, and if we could get that revelation, that's why if you notice, the Bible says Satan left Jesus for a time. In other words, he's like, he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. He goes, I can't get in. And I'm going to share a powerful scripture at the end about open doors even for Jesus. So you have to understand that the believer is fully convinced, a true believer is fully convinced that no power of the enemy could bind them. No power. Not some power. No power. Say no power. Listen, that's why I'm going to have you complete. Most people do not complete the sentence. Jesus said, I have given you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you what? Bind on earth shall be what? Now, now, how does that whole scripture go? Come on, you can shout back at me. Some of you theologians in the room, come on. That's, that's, that's where most Christians stop. The Bible says he's given us the keys of the kingdom, and whatever we bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Some of you are like, what do you mean? That is the whole scripture. How, what is the whole scripture? Okay, okay. Whoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Is that the whole scripture? No. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. 
See, that was, the, that, was, that was the sentence that most people leave out. They come in and they say, Jesus, according to Matthew 16, it says he's given us the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Amen. No, that's not the complete scripture. After he says that, he says, and then, listen, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And on this, on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail. You either believe that the gates of hell is not going to prevail in your church in, against you, or you believe that there are some areas that you've opened up. Now, I mean, I'm going to say this, it's going to sting a little bit, but not everything is the enemy's fault. Sometimes is what sometimes is on purpose or even by ignorance, what we fail to put on and cover when it comes to the armor of God, and you'll see in just a couple of minutes how I'm going to break down these three, okay, that sometimes is us opening the doors. If we don't have a prayer life, we are opening the floodgates to the enemy to rule our mind, and the devil is nowhere near. I mean, the devil gets a lot of credit that he doesn't deserve to get, <laughs> Right? Like, he, he does not, he's not sitting around. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I remember one of the youth were like, man, the devil's out to get me, the devil's out to get me. And, and I just didn't say anything. You know, the devil's this and the devil's that and the devil's that. And I'm like, you know, stop. I said, there's only one devil. He is not omnipresent like God is. He's not omnipotent. He's not, uh, he's not in China at the same time and in Florida at the same time. He's not? No, he's not. There's only one devil, and there's demons. But let me tell you something. Demons and, 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 and Satan, they're already defeated. They're already defeated. Listen, you only have one devil, but one God is everywhere at the same time. The same God is here in China, in China, here in Florida and over there in China, or over in Germany, or over in Jerusalem, or over in, or, or whatever your place is, God is there. And so when, I, when people say, oh, the devil's after me, the devil's after me, I say, you must be some real important person in the kingdom of God. If the devil himself, come on somebody, I'm going to preach for a little bit. If the devil himself, Lucifer, is coming at your door and say, hey, I'm, I, I've had enough. The devil's not after you. You're opening doors. And because you're opening doors, you think that the enemy's after you, but you've become powerless and stripped from power when you open that door to kryptonite. I don't care how, uh, I used to tell people all the time, my, my, my little analogies, like I call them the PG parables, right? Like there was par PG parables, this will be one of them. I used to tell people all the time, you probably heard me, some of you say this. I said, what was Superman's greatest strength? And it was like, uh, you know, his, their ability to fly fast? I go, no. What was Superman's greatest strength? Uh, faster than a speeding bullet, and whatever that saying is, jump higher than a tall building, right there. And I go, no, that's not his greatest strength. They say, what is his greatest strength? Superman's greatest strength is his ability to recognize where kryptonite is at and run the opposite direction. You never see Superman saying, where's kryptonite, boys? I'm going to tackle this kryptonite. Get behind me. I'm going to show you how I can. No, he's like, kryptonite's there. I'm going to run. You know what the Bible says? Flee, youthful lust. Don't. <laughs> that almost sounds wimpy. But years ago, the Lord told me, some people are fighting what they, use, what they should be running from. Now, that doesn't mean you're a wimpy Christian. It means you're a wise Christian. <laughs> come on. Come on. Flee youthful lust. Don't try to fight it. Sometimes, yeah, fight it within yourself. But when you see it coming, turn the opposite direction. 
I remember when I was, uh, I, this is just coming to me now, I, our first missions trip when I was a youth pastor, I took uh, uh, Heather uh, Botero and, and all these people that we went to Brazil. And man, praise God for the Brazilians. But man, some of them, they're just, they're like rocking the streets with barely nothing on. Right? So we're walking. I remember it was a mission trip with all these youth. We're walking. Now, now listen, this is, this is going to lead me to my first point, what I'm about to tell you, or my first point. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to give you a foreshadow. All right? Now, I was with a bunch, about 13 youth and young adults. We were in a mission trip, and we were walking on the street, right? And as we're walking down the street, there's this girl with a super tight dress coming. I can see her like two, two three blocks away. They're coming. So I went like this. Our destination was that way. So you know what I did? I said, hey, guys, let's turn this way. And so we just kind of went the long way, right, right? So I didn't, I didn't say anything to the youth. I said, we're, well, Pastor George, over there. I know, I know, but we're just going to go this way. This, we're going to go around, right? So I ran around, and we, we got to our, the church, right? And as we're preparing to go to our next gig, because uh, we, we, we would go to the plazoleta, that's what they call it, and hundreds of people would be on, and, and I would pump T-Bone, Christian, <laughs> the Christian hip-hop. They thought it was Eminem back then. So... Um, <laughs> So I was like, yeah. They're like, hey, what are these Americans? Yeah. They had no clue it was Christian hip-hop, right? So I, we, we would pump them, and people were gathered by the hundreds, hundreds. And I felt like Billy Graham, man. You know, we, we, we had hundreds of people there. I had people raising their hands in the streets, and they would be crying, everything. It was glorious, right? When we got back, I remember one of my uh, spiritual daughters back then, she just looked at me like, I'm like, she goes, I saw what you did. And I'm thinking, what are you, what are you talking about, you know? She goes, I saw what you did. Like, what do you talk? What, what do you mean? She goes, I saw that woman coming. Word for word, she said, I saw that woman just like you saw it, and I saw that you turned the other way, and you fleed. You fled that possible entrapment for some of the youth. She goes, I just want you to know that we're watching. Just want you to know that what you do to resist temptation is on you. You have to have wisdom to close potential doors that you are opening. Now, I don't know what would have happened if I would have kept going straight. I, I, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying, I was proactive in guarding my people from the, uh, from the opportunity to look at that girl with lust in their eyes because I saw en the enemy trying to take advantage of an opportunity. Come on, say amen. Say amen. And so, so, so this each part, say each part. Put that up there. Of the armor of God symbolizes spiritual truths and spiritual weapons that belong to every believer. Okay? So here is my first one, which I gave a little foreshadow of what it is. The first mention, uh, the first mention armor of God when it comes to our defense is being girded with truth. Everybody say girded with truth. Now, I'm going to give you some revelation here. The word girded means clothed with truth. Now, I want you to hone in on the word truth because the word truth is not just Scripture because we know that truth will set you free, right? But I'm going to give you another definition of the word truth. Everybody say, part of the armor is to be clothed with truth. Say it one more time. I'm clothed with truth. Now, the word truth in, some, in, most, uh, in most definitions here talks about honesty and integrity deep down in your soul. When the Bible says be clothed with truth, truth, sorry, with, with, with truth, truth is symbolic of integrity and honesty. Anytime you hear the word truth in this message, I want you to think of integrity 
and honesty, I'm going to say it again, okay? Integrity and honesty anchored deep within your soul. What is integrity? Some of you know this. Integrity is what you do when nobody is looking. In other words, here's the PG, here's the PG um, uh, definition. You could get away with it and no one will ever find out. Only you and God, and God could give you grace and could give you grace and give you grace and give you grace and give you grace. But integrity has to do with you remaining truthful to what you believe when nobody is looking. Let me give you a quick example of integrity, okay? Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll share a real example. Somebody, somebody, when someone gives an offering here, I'm going to just give you a, a, a real story of integrity. And that offering you designate specifically for somebody or specifically for a department. Nobody knows behind the scenes that we can say, okay, yeah, we just, we, we gave it to that department. Or, yep, we gave it to that person. And no one will ever know that we just kind of, we could just keep it. Do you hear what I'm saying? You, you follow me? Integrity is like, you know what? We received that, that money, but we're going to use it for the tithe and offering when it was specifically marked for, to, to bless a certain ministry. Do you know what? Just a, a couple weeks ago, someone gave a specific amount that they felt blessed, an anonymous giver to a person. And we counted it, and we saw it, and we gave exactly that amount that was given. And RCC wrote a check to that individual person. Nobody would have known, but guess what? What you honor in the secret, God will honor publicly. When, when it comes to integrity, you will open a huge door if you start violating the pureness of your integrity. If you say, oh, yeah, 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 let's, let's just, let's just kind of dismiss that and not deal with that. No, you will not continue to get blessed. I believe the reason why God continues to bless us is because he sees the integrity of the ministry. So here's, here's a little layman's term for integrity. Say what you do and do what you say. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. I, I, I think this, this part is going to be a little amen. Say what you do. And do what you say. And te- okay, this is part of the armor of God. Being clothed with truth is, is saying, you're doing what you say, and you're saying what you're doing. You're, uh-oh, ready, ready, ready? Husbands, you're not just acting some way in church and acting up a fool up in your house consistently. I know we have some little, little hiccups, right? And then you have to go, and then you're like, okay, right? Or wives, don't act all spiritual here. And try to complain and, 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 uh, and tell, mark how much your husband is not doing right in the house. And complain, complain, complain. You know, I always said, Lord, I want to be a Philippians 2 church. What, what is a Philippians church, 2 church? Is that you're not only, not only saying, uh, putting others higher than yourself. That's what Philippians 2 says. But it also says do all things without complaining. I, we need to get to that place. Right? That we become a people that we don't always complain. What is integrity? Is, I'm just going to pause and say this because I feel this from the Lord. You know what integrity solves, the armor of integrity or truth? It solves people from looking at Christians and not wanting to receive them anymore. The reason why worldly people laugh at Christians is because we are some of the most hypocritical people on the earth. I don't say that to, 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 to bash the church. I'm just saying is that we preach a good game, but we are not acting it. Integrity is what you say in public matches what you say in private. That doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you won't have any attitudes every now and then. Because I know people are like, oh, my God, then no one's going to be a Christian here. Okay? So integrity. Start, say, say, say integrity is synonymous 
with honesty and truth. Now watch this. Look at Job chapter 31. I never saw this. Look at Job chapter 31. I'm going to go really quick. Job chapter 31. Let me be weighed on what? Honest scales that God may know my integrity. Do you see that? Honesty anchored deep down inside. In other words, you have the ability to get away with it, but choose not to. That right there, my friends, is when you know you're walking in power. When you have, let me just put it in further. When you have the ability to even get, take, get a personal advantage of something, you know, you, you, find, you find a wallet after church, come on, somebody, laying on the floor. And you're like, God, you must have blessed me. <laughs> That's what we do. Coming out of church, wallet said, like, thank you, Lord. You've answered my prayer. No, integrity is this belongs to somebody. This is not a blessing for you. Watch this now. What you do with that moment in time. A hundred thoughts are bubbling through your head. Maybe, but I need, but oh my God, but maybe it's not a wallet. That's really obvious. How about if it's just cash? See, you got quite up in this Methodist church up in here. See. You're like, well, how, you know, see, some of you are like, well, you know, there's a wallet. I'll figure it, but if it was cash, I don't know. How about it was cash and it was not yours and it was supposed to be in the offering? And you say, hey, uh, so and so here, uh, I found this on the floor. I believe someone dropped that. Just go ahead and use that for the offering. Do you know what God's going to do for you? Come on. He's going to trust you with great things because you're girded with truth. Look, look at what the, the song, I'm, I'm preaching better than you're saying amen this morning. Psalm 25, verse 20. Look at this. Look at this. Look at what David said. Are you ready? Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. Come on, for I wait for you. How many can say that you're girded with integrity? That means you could get away with, with receiving something that's going to benefit you, but you're not going to take advantage and lie to yourself privately when you know it's not right. That's integrity. Come on. Say, say this after me. I will do what I say and say what I do. So look at this slide before we go to the next two. Integrity in essence is do what you say and say what you do. All right? Now, here's the next. Ooh, I love this next two and then we're going to close. Look at the next one. We're only harping on three, okay? The second arm. Oh, by the way, do you, know, uh, do you notice that the very first piece of armor mentioned is integrity and truth? I think that's significant. Truth wasn't uh, the third one mentioned. It was the first one mentioned. All right? And look at the second one. And put on the breastplate of, oh, breast, everybody say breastplate of righteousness. That's found in verse 14. That's where you see the parentheses there in, in Ephesians 6. The breastplate of righteousness has a twofold meaning. Not only is Jesus our righteousness, not only do we put on righteousness, that's not the revelation. Many of you are like, I already know this. No, you're wrong. This is not the revelation. The revelation is not righteousness and holiness because you already know that. Because it says put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm not even talking about the fact that you know it's, that you got to live holy. What I'm talking about, the revelation in this type of armor, oh, I'm going to shout here, is that the breastplate protects the main and most important organ of your body, which is the heart. 
In battle, the breastplate is function for one main reason. You can live without an arm, but you can't live without a heart. You can live without some fingers, but you can't live without a heart. They could chop your leg off, and you may be slowed down, but you can still live. But if they take your heart out, you go out. That's why the book of Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. That's why Matthew 15 says, you, the, what comes out of the person's heart, that's what defiles a person. Not if they wash your hands or not. <laughs> oh boy, that, that, that could preach in 2020. <laughs> wash your hands, okay? Wash your hands. But <laughs> Jesus would get kicked out in churches if he, if he preached that. To, but he says, that's not what really defiles you. He says, what really defiles you is what comes in your heart. I say this all the time. I don't need the gift of discernment to know what's in your heart. I just need you to speak for about five minutes. If I, if I, if I get you in a line privately and I say, hey, this is just between me and you, and you start talking about this person, you start talking about that, and you talk about, start talking about me, you start talking about your wife, you start talking negative, negative, negative. I don't have to have the gift of discernment to know that there's something off in you. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you know what the breastplate of righteousness guards? is open doors for darkness to come into your heart. Listen, your heart, your spirit, your heart, your spiritual heart, okay? And so walking, put this real quick, I got to hurry. Walking in righteousness and holiness, look at this, actually closes the doors of access that the enemy can enter in our lives through disobedience. Do you know the breastplate of righteousness guards its defense, your heart from open doors of darkness? Do you know that walking in holiness and righteousness is not just a commandment of the Lord? It's actually protecting your heart. God is so, God is so amazing that he doesn't only want you to do it because it's going to give you victory. He's trying to protect you. The armor of God is for your protection. When you walk in holiness, it's not, let me just say this because I feel this from the Lord. When someone says you need to walk in the holiness of God through the word of God. It's not stopping you from having fun. I just felt, I just heard that, like, from the Lord right now. Some people take the message of holiness, like, as religious now. Some people do take it to extreme, and it becomes very legalistic. But the message of holiness is actually protecting you. It's not forbidding you from having fun. True fun is found in the kingdom. True fun is waiting before you get married. True fun is being obedient to the Lord so you can have a vibrant heart, okay? That is what is happening here, okay? Now look at John, now John chapter 14 in the Amplified Version. Look at, ooh. So I have to explain this because even Jesus had this uh, principle of the doors in his life that were closed. And, I, and at first I used to didn't understand this, but even Jesus had a, a mystery. He said, there is nothing inside me that belongs to the devil. Now, hold up. How in the world would Jesus say there's nothing in me that belongs to the devil if there's not possible for believers to have something inside of them that belongs to the devil? Wait a minute. Just hear, hear me what I'm saying. Hear me what I'm saying. He said, the tempter of this world is coming, and he's found nothing in me. But in the, in the other version, versions, <laughs> right, it actually says he has nothing in common in me. Now, wait. Do you feel that lust 
is in common with Jesus? No. Do you feel like envy, which the Bible says is demonic, is in common with Jesus? No. They're in common with the devil. So if we open up the doors to our heart to jealousy, lust, envy, we have things of the enemy that belong to the enemy in us. Now watch. Watch real quick. Ephesians. No, not in Ephesians. John chapter 14. Real quick. Ready? Say, if you're there, say amen. I will not talk with you much more, Jesus said, for the, pr- for the prince, evil genius ruler of the world is coming, and he has no claim in me. Wait, wait, Jesus, what are you talking about? You never, you never were possessed, or you never had demons in you. See, we think that, we think that in order for, uh, for the, the enemy not to have anything in, in us means that we never have to be possessed by the enemy. It's like, oh, no, that's, that's, that scripture doesn't belong to me because I've never been possessed by the devil. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about things that you've opened up to agreeing with the enemy inside of you. Listen, listen. He has nothing in common within me. There's nothing in me that belongs to him. Did you read that? Did you read that or am I just reading it myself? There's nothing in me that belongs to him. Why would Jesus say there's nothing in me that belongs to him if it's not possible for things to belong inside of us that belong to the Lord? I mean to the enemy. That means there's things that you and I have inside of us that if we're not guarded with the breastplate of righteousness, it will actually belong to the enemy. But Jesus never opened the door to the enemy. So that's why when the enemy came to try to... to, to uh, bring all this catastrophe to him, he said, there's nothing in me that I have in common with the enemy. But if you look at the church today in 2020, can we really say that there's nothing of the enemy in the church? Mm-hmm. Look at the TPT version. Same, same chapter, same verse. Right? And then I'm going to the last one and we'll close. I won't speak with you much longer for the ruler of the dark world is coming, but he has no power over me. Watch this. For he has nothing to use against me. Oh, man, you're not even saying amen to that. He's not, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know what the strength of Satan is? What he can use against you that you already have inside of you. He has nothing to use against him. Church, I'm going to say something really powerful before I go to the last armor here. Examine your heart to see what you have that Satan could use against you. Can I just, are you, in comprom- are you constantly putting yourself in compromising positions to sin? Are you constantly watching certain things that you shouldn't watch? Are you fooling around with things that you shouldn't fool around with? Are you dabbling in things? Why? Don't expect the spirit of lust to just leave you if you're entertaining it every day. You could say, come out in Jesus' name, but it has no power if it's still in you. All right? So breastplate of righteousness actually protects your heart. Yes, it's holiness, but it's protecting your heart. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. The Bible says, number three, he says, put that, that, that last third slide up. Our feet shod with the gospel of peace. This is a defense and an offense at the same time. Okay? Shod. <laughs> we never use that word, right? Excuse me. Can you shod your shoes on, please? I mean, it's like... The word shod means to, uh, to bind or clamp down. He says, have the gospel and the power of peace clamped down so strongly in you that it cannot escape you. Now, why do I say this? And I'm closing with this last one. It's because peace, according to the Greek, you've heard me before. If you've, if you've seen my uh, Beatitudes classes years ago. Peace is a powerful force. Now watch this. You're going to shout. 
Because he didn't say, have your feet uh, shut abroad with just power. He said, with the gospel of peace. Now, this is part of the armor, though. The armor is not just a breastplate. It's not just a sword. And it's not just a helmet. It's actually shoes, right? Shoes that are, are the main foundation is peace. Now, peace is a positive force. Now, it's the power of peace that God uses to overcome the enemy. I need the worship team to get up here because this is the last thing I'm going to do. I need the worship team to get up here. Now, look look at me. Look at me. I'm, literally, I'm closing with this. Do you know that the Bible says that peace is so powerful that it actually is one of the last day weapons for the believer to walk in victory? You say, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor George? Do you know that the act of peacemaking when Jesus comes to cleanse the earth from unrighteousness and strip Satan from his power is actually establishing his peace on the earth? Come on, somebody say amen. Do you know that when Jesus comes back to establish his peace, he's not going to ask permission if he can do it. He's not going to say, listen, it's time for me to get my bride. It's time for me to cleanse the earth from your wickedness. Can I invade your territory? When he comes and brings peace, which is making wrong things right, that peacemaker that we talked about several months ago, making wrong things right, the act of peacemaking is the power of God to cleanse the earth from wickedness. Now, now watch this. Look at what Romans says. See, because you're not shouting at me, because you, but you're going to shout now. Look, look at this. Romans, this is the last scripture. Romans 16, verse 17 through 20. Look at what the Bible says the power of peace is when it comes to your victory over the enemy. Say this with me. Say, the power of peace overcomes the enemy. Now, now before you even read the scripture, just, just you making peace with others that offended you discombobulates the enemy just right there. Come on, think about it. it, it just, some, just somebody that you haven't spoke to in a long time, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to wait for they come to me. I'm going to come to them. I'm going to make peace with them. You just destroyed everything the devil's trying to do. There's power in peacemaking. If you've been offended with somebody and you haven't talked to them for years, don't wait for them to get it right and come to you. You are the Christian. You say, I repent. I'm going to say, listen, it doesn't matter what you did to me. I forgive you. We don't have to be best friends, but I'm going to be a peacemaker, and we're going to bridge this disunity because, uh, because, because the Bible says a, a, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. Here's a scripture. Do you know what the Bible says about how God is going to put Satan underneath your feet? He's not even just talking about Satan under Jesus' feet because Jesus already has Satan under his feet. Look at the promise of God. Last scripture, Romans chapter 16. Put it up there. Look at this. Now I urge you, brethren. Oh, come on, church. I want you to get excited about this. Note that those, listen, note those who cause division and offense. In other words, don't just, don't just passively say, oh, well, this person is causing division. He goes, no, note them. Note those who cause division constantly and offense. There's a foreshadow. There's a foreshadow. What's the opposite of peace? Division. What's the opposite of peace? Division. All right? Division and schisms and, and offenses. He says, note them that cause division among you, contrary to the doctrine which you learn, and avoid them. Look at the next verse. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own belly. And by smooth words... And flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. You're going to shout in just a second. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good. Zoom in. And simple concerning evil. Simple concerning evil. 
listen, listen, listen. And the God of what? Oh, come on, I'm going to shout. Come on, I'm going to shout, Aaron. Listen, the, the God of what? Come on, not just the God of power. He's the God of power. Not just the God of might. Not just the God of wisdom. Not just the God of, uh, of amazing majesty. He said the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Wait. Wait. It's the God of peace that will crush Satan under your feet. He didn't say the God of peace is going to crush Satan under Jesus' feet because Jesus already crushed Satan at the cross. But he said, you know what's going to crush Satan is the power of peace is going to crush Satan. And God says, I want to take it a little further. The God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. That means you have the authority to, to discombobulate and destroy the power of the enemy by walking in peace with others and peace with God. Oh, I know, I know this hurts some of you because you don't want to make peace with somebody. But as long as you have offense, and as long as you have bitterness, you will never walk in freedom. Never. I don't care how much you love God. If you don't walk in peace, the power of peace. Peace is so strong that it's the force of peace that's going to crush Satan. Don't with God. And the God of peace will crush Satan shortly under your feet. I don't know who I'm talking to today. But I'm here to tell you that he's not only the prince of peace and wants to give you a good feeling of peace. He doesn't only just want to give you peace from the torment of your mind. He doesn't only want to give you peace from the emotional strongholds that you have and weeping over your son or your daughter or your marriage. He doesn't only want to give you peace, but he wants you to walk in peace. Because when you walk in peace, you crush the head of Satan. I'm here to tell you the enemy will do anything because one of his, he, the, he's the father of, of many things. Be the father of two main things, lies and division. That's why when they came to Jesus and they said, you only cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. He said, how can Satan be divided against himself? He says, when a house is divided against itself, great will be its fall. You want to know the number one enemy to establishing peace is when you notice constant division in your mouth, constant division uh, in, in your relationships. Then you know that peace is not there. Do you have to be best friends with everybody? No. Do you have to like everybody? No. But we are called to be peacemakers, but we're also called to have peace as part of our armor that actually destroys the head of Satan. This, I'm closing with this, is needed in marriages. This is needed in relationships. This is needed with family members. You want to crush Satan? I'm just going to tell you right now. Here's a test. Professor PG is giving you a test. Do you want to crush Satan? Do you want to defeat him in every area of your life? Well, especially in the area of relationships between people. Between, that means marriage, kids, fathers, mothers, friends. If you let peace rule you, the Bible says in Colossians, let peace rule your heart. Rule your heart. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Get that. Is peace ruling you so much that you're willing to go to great lengths and great extent 
to bring peace in a situation in a home. They're constantly fighting. The enemy has just exposed your armor. The Lord is saying today, you love God, but your, enemy, your armor is exposed because there's no peace in the home. There's no peace in your relationships. You want to close that? On the, uh, you want to crush Satan's head? Start operating as a peacemaker. You are my champion, and he is undefeated. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Come on, stand, lift up your hands right now. Stand up to your feet. Stand up to your feet. I want everyone to lift up your hands. We're going to sing this song. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.